I think it's profoundly unhelpful. I think that he is carrying water for Vladimir Putin. He is popularizing and normalizing the Russian position. Being a useful idiot for a dictator who's not even winning is just not a good look. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, October 18th, and today Julia Yaffe is here to talk about Elon Musk floating a peace settlement for Russia and Ukraine on Twitter, a proposal that seems like it came straight from Vladimir Putin's desk in the Kremlin. It sure sounds like Musk is carrying water for Putin, and the international community isn't happy about it. Julia explains why. And later on, Bill Cohan is here to talk about the proposed merger between supermarket giants Albertsons and Kroger, and why regulators probably won't let it happen. We'll hear about all that and more in today's episode, Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life happy tuesday everybody i'm joined today by julia yaffe who is here to deliver her expertise on the war between russia and ukraine as always not that she can't talk about other things but She's really good at this. This is on brand for you. This is on brand for Puck. Um, (laughs) Hey, Julie, I want to ask you about Elon Musk, of all people, is sort of acting as a bit of a proxy for Vladimir Putin, or at least a megaphone for a potential agreement peace idea. Or a water carrier, or a useful idiot, or, you know, (laughs) pick your term. Fair enough. So... Elon tweeted, I think a couple weeks ago at this point, Ukraine, Russia, peace, colon, uh, because he has an answer for everything. He can (laughs) 
create the hyperloop. He can save the kids from the cave and the water. He can, you know, go to the moon. Um, the first point, redo elections of annexed regions under UN supervision. Russia leaves if that is the will of the people. Obviously, the regions he's talking about in the East uh, had sort of sham elections and raised their hand saying, we are with you, uh, Vladimir Putin, and those were not uh, fair and free elections. Uh, two, Crimea formally part of Russia, as it has been since 1783, until Khrushchev's mistake. Okay, man. Water supply to Crimea assured. Ukraine remains neutral. So this is a four-point peace plan tweeted out by Elon Musk. And then he put a poll on it that has two million votes. Well, then you have it. You know, let's just, it's a Twitter poll. It's binding. There you go. The science is is. <laughs> Wonderful, immaculate. Like, it's this sound. Is, it's very sound here, the methodology. Um, no, but the Twitter poll at least says no by a 60-40 margin. I say all this, I'm reading this tweet. We're talking about Elon Musk, not with Bill Cohan, but with you for a reason, which is why is Elon Musk tweeting about this? And is he talking to Vladimir Putin? And there and like sort of tweeting this out so the West pays attention to this idea, maybe like a soft launch for a settlement idea? It's funny you should ask. <laughs> uh, so last week we found out through Ian Bremmer, who is the founder and head of this thing called the Eurasia Group, which is this fancy risk consultancy that helps governments and businesses kind of assess their risk uh, going into business in a certain country, especially in uh, emerging markets. And gives them the lay of the land and, and what's happening and what they think is going to happen. And Ian sends out a weekly email to his kind of core client base. Last week, I believe on Monday, he sent out a long email saying that a couple weeks ago he had talked to Elon Musk and Elon told him that before tweeting this out, he had spoken directly to Putin and that these were Putin's red lines. Ian had kind of kept this to himself, but then given the the tweeting that happened and the fact that these kinds of ideas were starting to gain ground in certain corners of the American political spectrum, I don't know if that metaphor makes sense, he wanted to kind of share this two-week-old anecdote, now three-week-old anecdote, that this basically came directly from Vladimir Putin. This was broke by Vice News, I think. I managed to get a hold of the actual memo afterwards. In it, he basically says, yeah, he spoke directly to Vladimir Putin before tweeting this out. Musk comes along and says, no, I didn't speak directly to the Kremlin, kind of seemingly giving himself room to maneuver. I spoke to Ian privately. He didn't want to go on the record, but he basically stood by his reporting. And I think, look, like, Ian's a nice guy. He can be a bit of a blowhard, but he does have a business, a very big and very lucrative business that depends on his reputation. And I just fundamentally don't believe that he would make something like this up and then put his name on it and then send it to his clients who are uh, paying him a lot of money for his insight. You know, this is not is not a sub stack. Yeah. No, right? I mean, Yeah. He's not just a guy on Twitter. I mean, I think people think of him as this like... I mean, he is a guy on Twitter. I know that, but I'm saying if you're not subscribed <laughs> to his newsletter, you just think he's like this 
geopolitical savant on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, but he has a whole staff, right? He has a whole staff in many different cities. It is a big company. They are a real institution and their name really means something and carries weight in the world of foreign policy and international business. The other question is whether Elon Musk was just making shit up while speaking to Ian Bremmer. So I think Elon Musk actually validated the idea that Elon Musk has talked to Putin (laughs) Uh, just yesterday. Elon tweeted about Russia and Ukraine, and it sure sounds like Putin is his ghostwriter when he says this. This is what Elon Musk tweeted. (laughs) His Cyrano. (laughs) Literally. This sounds like it would literally be a speech Putin would give, but in English. If Russia is faced with the choice of losing Crimea or using battlefield nukes, they will choose the latter. We've already sanctioned and cut off Russia in every possible way. So what more do they have left to lose? If we nuke Russia back, they will nuke us, and then we have World War III. So that's what Elon Musk tweeted yesterday. And then he goes on to say, whether one likes it or not, Crimea is absolutely seen as a core part of Russia by Russia. Uh, Crimea is also of critical national security importance to Russia, as is their southern naval base. From their standpoint, losing Crimea is like USA losing Hawaii and Pearl Harbor. So the second entry there feels a lot like a Wikipedia read of Crimea. <laughs> Let me start with this. Both this and the original tweet storm, yes, sound like they came from the brain of Vladimir Putin. Like he mentioned 1783, like, oh yeah, sure, Elon, you know about that. And you know about Khrushchev's quote unquote mistake. Which, in fact, was not a mistake, because if you look at a map, Elon, you can see that Crimea is attached by land. It's a peninsula. It has one point of land attachment, and it is, in fact, to the once was the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic, not the Russian Soviet Socialist Republic. That's one thing. Second of all, he's like, let's just ask the people who live there. Well, most of the people who live there have left in the last eight years because of all the fighting and the people who stayed either support what's happening or are too poor to leave. And so it would not mean much to ask them. This happens a lot everywhere, but especially in the U.S., people who make a lot of money in business who become these successful tycoons, they suddenly think like, well, if I made a lot of money doing X, then I must be a genius at everything. I'm surrounded by people who tell me I'm a genius So let me just try my hand at solving other complex issues. Like I got a rocket into space. I made an electric car. Sure, these are very difficult problems, but like not all difficult problems are the same and not all geniuses are the same. And this is how we get fuckers like Elon Musk and Henry Ford. I've been thinking a lot recently about how similar the two are how both are these industrial titans associated with a certain iconic car who made their fortune on that, then decided to try their hand at politics, who started dabbling in media. You know, Henry Ford bought a newspaper just so that he could print these anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and tirades. And he started playing footsie with this European strongman, land-grabbing strongman of the day, Adolf Hitler. And you're seeing something very similar with Elon, who's trying to buy Twitter so that he can shake up the discourse and get his ideas, his ideas of what a media discourse should look like across. He's playing footsie with the land-grabbing fascist leader of Europe of the day, Vladimir Putin. Hey, I want to ask you, what does like foreign policy establishment in the West, the US, the UK, NATO, 
What do they think about Elon Musk, like tweeting about all the stuff where they just like, shut up, man. You know, as much as you want to dismiss Elon Musk, like it does feel like this is part of the information warfare going on. Absolutely. And it's influencing public opinion. I think it's profoundly unhelpful. I think that he is carrying water for Vladimir Putin. He is popularizing and normalizing the Russian position, which should not be normalized. He is mainstreaming it and helping it gain acceptance. And that is very, very bad because it is theft and murder and imperialism and colonialism. And these are all things that we should all reject. For there to be any kind of peace deal, it has to be a just one. And everything that Elon Musk has offered up, which is just regurgitated garbage from the Kremlin, is not just. Being a useful idiot for a dictator who's not even winning is just not a good look. You were saying like you get to the certain level in business in the private sector and you think you can do anything. You can like run for political office. You totally. You reach over here and like solve the energy crisis. You can buy a newspaper and run a newspaper, buy a social totally. media site, whatever. There's also this element just of like, I like being able to have my texts and phone calls returned by powerful people and other famous oh, people. Oh yeah. Especially if you're 100%. just like, like, you know, you're used to be a nerd and you're insecure and then you become famous and powerful and well-connected and everyone wants to text you and you get off on the fact that like you can text with Gail King and you can talk to the Kremlin and you can talk over here to like totally someone from another tech platform. And it's just like, at some point it's like, are you being useful or are you just showing off that you can talk to Kanye West? Right. Vladimir Putin, who was trained to deal with human beings in the KGB and how to manipulate their egos to his end knows that very well. The hubris of somebody who is very smart, but maybe isn't very socially or emotionally smart, doesn't realize the extent to which he's being manipulated. He thinks it's a cool flex that Vladimir Putin is uh, trusting him with his big ideas, but really he's just being totally manipulated and being used in an informational war game. And he just looks like an idiot. Julia, I don't know if we came on today intending to talk about Elon Musk, but we did. I think it uh, brought some energy and some heat out of you. You know what? It's <laughs> renewable. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> All right, Julia, thank you so much. Thanks, Peter. When we come back, Teddy Schleifer speaks to Bill Cohan about Albertsons and Kroger. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. 
And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right. I found that on Etsy. It's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Teddy Schleifer here today. We're back with Bill Cohane, and we are here today to talk about M&A and what deals may not get done. Bill, thanks for coming by. Teddy, great to be here. You come out over the weekend uh, arguing that Kroger, which is the supermarket giant, should not be able to acquire its rival Albertsons, or at least raising questions about whether or not it should be allowed. Kroger is trying to buy its chief rival for $25 billion. This is at a time when the Biden White House and, and frankly, lots of, of the left are, are hoping for an entirely new approach to antitrust. Typically, that conversation is dominated by conversations about what tech companies acquire, but you know, $25 billion acquisition is nothing to sneeze at. Can you give me like the, the quick thumbnail sketch here of why, if you were Lena Khan, the chair of the FTC, why, if you were Lena Khan, you would at least be questioning the Kroger acquisition of Albertsons? Well, look, I mean, uh, there's no question that the Biden administration has made clear that they're taking a different approach on mergers of all kinds. You know, they've actually gone to trial, of course, trying to block uh, Penguin Random House's, uh, my publisher's, acquisition of Simon & Schuster from CBS, which is now like pending for two years. And that's a $2 billion uh, merger, Teddy. So they have also uh, gone after small acquisitions that you know Amazon uh, is doing. I think of of Roomba, of all things, the vacuum cleaner company. It's clear that between Lena Khan and the Justice Department, that there's kind of a, a new sheriff in town. Now they haven't had any victories. Uh, we're waiting on the you know we're awaiting the, I guess the judge's ruling in the Penguin Random House Simon Schuster deal. But I mean they've made no secret that uh, after you know frankly decades of rather lax antitrust enforcement 
that maybe they're going to try something else. So, you know, along comes this $25 billion attempt by Kroger to buy Albertsons. That's the number one and number two uh, supermarket chains at a time of rising food prices and higher inflation, et cetera. I mean, it just seems so obvious that this is clear and present test to whatever it is that the Justice Department and Lena Khan, uh, you know, are going to do. To you, it's primarily about how this squares with kind of the rhetoric and sort of the approach to Lena Khan. It's, it's, to you, it's primarily about like ideological consistency. Exactly. It's interesting. The lawyers for these companies are already anticipating trouble on this front. So they've They've made a number of arguments uh, already. Number one, we'll sell overlapping stores wherever they overlap. The way to look at this is that we're facing serious competition from Amazon and Walmart to sell groceries, which is partially true, but come on, they're relatively small players in this field. So they, they know that they're testing the limits but when it comes to Albertsons, they probably felt they had little choice. They'd, they'd hired Goldman Sachs and Credit Suisse earlier in the year to try to sell the company. It's been more or less owned by Cerberus, a hedge fund, since, since 2006. That's 16 years of ownership, more or less. Um, time to go. Time for liquidity. So they got to test it. So, yeah, I was, I was going to ask you, Bill, to make the, the best argument for why something like this should be allowed. I can't. There's no argument for why it should be allowed, especially given the intellectual arguments that they've made to try to block the other deals in the pipeline. There's no way to defend this other than let's give it a shot. Other than, you know, sort of the the burden being on the regulator to show why it shouldn't be allowed, right? Just that, you know, in in capitalism and free markets, M&A is allowed unless there's some, you know, the the bar to be met is by Lena Khan. Right. Or, or uh, you know, the Justice Department in some lawsuit uh, that's brought, just like in uh, uh, Penguin Random House, Simon & Schuster. I mean, we, we literally, I mean, don't know the outcome of that. The Justice Department made, what I think, a silly legal argument. But nevertheless, you know, five publishers going down to four seems like a concentration of power that should be blocked. Uh theoretically speaking, and intellectually speaking, and probably legally speaking. Same argument applies even more so in a merger that's 12 times the size uh, in the supermarket uh, industry. Does the industry uh, in question matter? Does the fact that these are supermarkets as opposed to, to book publishers, as opposed to tech companies, or as opposed to you know oil companies, how does the industry in question not necessarily shape what should be regulated and what mergers shouldn't be allowed, but like in reality, what actually happens? Look, each industry is defined differently and has different characteristics and different competitive natures. So, you know, each industry has to be taken, you know, on its own. But, you know, in late stage capitalism uh, these days, which is where we're clearly at, there's already a lot of concentration across a variety of industries. If they're going to try to block uh, Amazon's uh, uh, acquisition of Roomba, which you know seems to me to be a horizontal merger, just as the Trump administration tried unsuccessfully to block you know AT and T's acquisition of Time Warner, which failed. It's clear that at least in the supermarket industry, this is this is a, you know I mean I, I think they obviously did it knowing that they were going to face right uh, opposition. 
and it's already right. performing. But you know, politicians are already blithering about it. Right, right. I was going to ask, but where does where does this end from from where you sit? I mean, right now we're on the stage of politicians blithering about it, but do you see the FTC trying to block this? I would be shocked if they didn't try to do something. I mean, uh, m- maybe these divestitures would be sufficient. Maybe the mm. Walmart Amazon argument is a good one. They're well advised, uh, you know, uh, lawyers getting $2,000 an hour uh, that specialize in this. And I'm sure they have some thoughts about why this will all work out just fine. But uh, given that it's food and that's basically a, a basic human need and that this kind of concentration might lead to uh, higher prices uh, in an environment where food prices are already going up. You know, it's just a low-hanging fruit for politicians. All right, Bill, take it easy. Thank you, Teddy. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.